Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned how you can expand your network as you get into the real estate investing world and also how to buy your first property. And in this episode, we are covering our latest mastermind call with several investors in multiple asset classes. We're going to talk about how each one of them is doing and how they are dealing with the current situation. Here we go. So I started the call by sharing what is happening in the San Francisco area. We are going into month seven of the quarantine and some places are being allowed to reopen at limited capacity, such as nail salons and hairdressers. There is still no indoor dining allowed, although that may change at 25% capacity by the end of the month. A lot of restaurants and boutique gyms have permanently closed and I see a lot of vacant retail space for rent in all areas of the city. As far as housing, new high-end condos that are located near the large company offices are selling for 25% less than a year ago. The building that I live in is about 30 to 40% vacant and there is a moving truck coming in every single day. As far as rents from apartments, rents are down between 15 to 30% comparing to this time last year. And that varies depending on which area of the city the apartment is in. There is a small percentage of people that are taking advantage of the moratorium and not paying rent. They will likely live rent-free for at least six months, according to a friend that invests in homes in California. This investor is actually selling uh, all of their homes here, and the upside is that these homes are selling very fast, and there is a lot of equity on these properties. The office area in San Francisco is completely empty and will likely be until July 2021, which is when major companies said that their employees can work from home until. And all of the businesses surrounding these offices are closed and I just don't see how they will survive. However, I am still confident that offices will not go out of style Companies are already saying that productivity and innovation is down. Productivity was up at the beginning of the lockdown because people were scared of losing their jobs, but that's not the case anymore. I'm in the process of purchasing a couple of properties and thankfully lending has not affected me. Moving on to a mobile home park investor and operator. 
he is seeing that buyers are taking a little bit more time and there seems to be less frenzy about trying to acquire deals. A lot of people are looking, but they're taking their time to buy. And part of that is that without that sense of frenzy, people feel like they can take their time. It's not as critical to get an offer out and to get the park under contract because they think it'll still be there a month or two down the road. And that is combined with some sentiment that people feel like they can wait for a little bit and hope that they might be able to find more motivated sellers over the next three to six months. From the seller side, a lot of clients that his consulting firm works with haven't gotten to the point where they really feel like they need to drop their price to act as if they are in any way desperate to get out. If the parks aren't making really good money for them, they are not having to pour a lot of money into it and they're still being patient from a seller's standpoint and thinking that maybe they can wait three, six, or nine months down the road until the dust settles a bit, and then they will be able to get a price that will be more attractive for them. On the operations side, they're still seeing an impact from COVID. For example, in Georgia, where he has a couple of parks, the courts closed in March, and they opened back up in July. And when they did, there was a big backlog of cases. They had some tenants that were upfront and said that their job was affected by the pandemic and showed proof of that. And they were able to work on payment plans with them. Other people took advantage of it and they're still making their way through some of those tenants going through the eviction process and trying to get on the court's schedule, which is taking a long time. The courts are giving the people who are being evicted the option of either coming out in person or coming to the court via Zoom. And when they do it via Zoom, the court dates are actually set further out. So from a tenant perspective, they have a choice of coming in in person in October or of doing a Zoom call in December. And They are choosing to do it online to stretch things out a little bit. So that is something that they're still working their way through. Moving on to the next person. This is a multifamily investor. He is also taking things slow and being patient. He was trying to get a little bit more comfortable with everything around August and started to get a little more aggressive on the acquisition side, mainly looking in the Charlotte market. He thinks that the Charlotte market is really great long-term, especially in the light of everything going on. He thinks that the diversity of employment there is very good and sees that as a good long-term market. But he did step back a little bit when the CDC moratorium came down. That was a little bit jarring for them to come out with such a sweeping regulation and not provide any fiscal support that goes along with it for the renters or landlords. So the opportunity for people to take advantage of it is certainly there. And if you are looking at C-class assets or for properties that have C-tenants in it, that is a big risk right now. So he's really curious how that is going to pan out because right now there are a lot of question marks on the future of this through December and what happens after that. 
Is there going to be any fiscal aid coming out? It does not seem like Congress is in any big rush to pass another CARES Act or anything like that. He is not bullish on the future in terms of the economic climate, and there is a real potential right now that things get worse before they get better. We have this initial uptick. They are pushing the narrative that we are in recovery, but he does not think it's going as strong as some people are making out to be. Just looking at the jobless claims. He is taking his time on that respect because he thinks there's still a lot of risk out there. Moving on to the next person, senior living and assisted living investor and operator. They have been dealing with a lot of changes in the visitation front. They are going to see a lot of interesting deal flow in the assisted living memory care and skilled nursing space. They are at a demographic trough that is going to exist for a little while. That is where the baby boomers don't need care yet and their parents and people that are older than them are passing away faster than they're being replaced. So they are at that point now for the next couple of years where it's going to be a little bit of a demographic challenge in the business and then it will turn pretty sharply. He is starting to see more and more deals at 50% occupancy that are trading on 30 cents on the dollar. And if they are decent assets, you can get in there and serve a couple of years and then have some good deal flow. Other than that, everyone is dealing with major shifts. He thinks the impact of senior housing is going to be more generational than a couple of years. There was an article from the AARP that said that smaller home assisted living long-term care facilities are doing really well in the pandemic, which would mean the corollary that big providers are doing poorly is true. He thinks that people are going to start waking up to the fact that gyms and underwater treadmills don't mean much in those facilities if they don't have infection control and the food is not very good and the communication is not very good and all things being equal, if one place has one out of a 20 chance decrease of not killing your mom or dad, that is probably a good tiebreaker. He thinks that it's going to be a really interesting, very turbulent three to five years in this business, and COVID just accelerated that. If you were going to see receiverships, you were going to really start to see them now. He thinks that there was a tremendous amount of smart money that was actually dumb money and didn't know that it was dumb money. There has been a lot of institutional players that have gotten annihilated in this space because they don't have an operator and they don't have operations under control. They thought that it would be easier than it actually is and he thinks that there were people making decisions without doing the proper due diligence and they thought that it was build and they will come. In some of the bigger cities, there was an overbuilding problem and there are still plenty of cities, especially smaller secondary and tertiary markets that are massively underbuilt. And people don't know how to have a unique selling proposition. They just keep building the same old product over and over again and they fight for market share. So it's a little bit of everything. And then of course it's a difficult sell 
to say, hey, move mom and dad in and maybe you can come visit them in six months. For the average family, that's actually a negative and the visitation policies really did put a huge damper on move-ins. The suburban rural flight pattern that is happening all across America right now affects his business too. Some people that have their properties in the suburban areas are seeing more rapid movements than some of their urban counterparts. If people are leaving cities, then naturally city-based assisted living and memory care facilities will also suffer. Most of his places are in central Dallas and there is a little bit less demand than there was before, even though their model is superior for infection control and for pandemic. His suburban friends seem to be busier and other cities are way worse off such as San Francisco and New York. He thinks that urban New York and San Francisco assisted living memory care and skilled nursing facilities are getting destroyed. Overall, there has been a lot of things happening simultaneously. They are getting back to closer to full visitations, probably at about 50% in Dallas and Texas. It will be interesting to see when people can actually come visit. They actually require people to go through a caregiver training program about infection control, and then they can actually visit indoors. The prior rule that someone had to be failing to thrive, they had to be passing away or end of life or losing weight or having cognitive problems, and then you could come visit, but there was no physical contact allowed. So now physical contact is allowed if they have proper infection control and follow certain protocols. Once that starts to happen, they will start to break away from COVID being the central story. And then it will be more about people that have been exposed because the tide came in and the tide went out. He thinks that's probably what they will start experiencing in the next 6 to 18 months. And then it'll be an ugly run for some people. As far as distributions to their investors, they have paused them. Early on on the pandemic, they were doing really well. Their expenses were high, but they got about 25% of their clients to agree to rent increases. They were actually able to expand in the pandemic a little bit. But when the visitation policies set in, it was difficult to get people in. The trend right now is that people that do private sitters at home, those businesses have exploded. That's around $12,000 a month. And if they can keep mom at home and they're safe and they have the care that they need, that's a temporary solution for a lot of people. Although most people cannot afford to spend $140,000 to $150,000 on that. So they went through an occupancy dip in their operations in Dallas. They did get some PPP money and got caught up from the prior distribution and they will have a pretty normal distribution this quarter, but it's not business as usual. And the expenses are high with things like buying PPE, the protocols and constantly dealing with changing policies that are being enforced. So it's definitely different, but as far as weathering the storm, they're well-positioned 
And ultimately, he is excited about the things that are coming online because they are both in secondary and tertiary markets, which will be very attractive. And uh, they were able to incorporate some COVID state-of-the-art things in those facilities. So he is bullish on the future for the right product. But for the industry as a whole, he thinks that it's going to be a little bit of a business bloodbath in the next two to five years. Moving on to the next person, a developer. The past month has been definitely unexpected. They had a number of projects in Lake Charles, Louisiana. They got hammered by Hurricane Laura. One of the projects suffered some delay, but suffered zero damage and they got to see how well the site would perform under heavy rain conditions and it performed really well including a tropical storm that came through recently the last month has been dealing with that situation and it has opened up more opportunities so overall it has been good for them they're still seeing opportunity for new construction a lot of people have been wondering if the market is going to freeze up and they have three projects that they are currently doing. It's never a straight line. There are always surprises like lenders doing the bait and switch approach, saying that they will give you amazing terms and the loan committee comes back with this concern. The interest rate is going up and apart from that is business as usual. They are being very careful not to make major long-term commitments unless they really see very strong market fundamentals. They are still bullish in some markets. There are a lot of markets that are dramatically underserved in the boat and RV space. And if you look at a lot of the major metros across the U.S., there are definitely price increases. And of course, you have declines in New York, San Francisco, and some of the coastal cities. But a lot of the interior markets, for example, Boise, Idaho, is up 11%. Maybe that is artificial robustness in the market, but it is there. They were planning to do a hotel in a very good area, and now they turned that project into a condo building, with 24% of hotels in North America being in some form of financial default under bonds or under notes. No one is going to build a hotel, so they want to pick up distressed assets for a discount. So everyone is waiting for that to work its way through the system. It's unfortunate that they couldn't build a hotel there, but it's been overall very busy. They also added new people to their team. And he likes markets where there is a shortage of supply and an excess of demand. At the end of the call, we all had a discussion on if we think Offices will come back to normal, and some of the varying thoughts were offices will come back, but it will be different, and there will be individual contributors that will continue to work from home. The pendulum has not finished swinging yet. Most companies will have a hybrid version where people can work from home once or twice a week. Some offices won't come back, like law firms where lawyers can work from anywhere. 
startups and tech companies will come back because there has been a decrease in productivity and innovation. And for the companies that give employees the choice to work from home, they might see that the employees that are in the office may get promoted quicker because they're picking up other tasks that may be needed to be done. So the hybrid model may work best. Overall, the conclusion of the call was that you must maintain adequate reserves. You should make sure that you are solving an income statement problem with an income statement solution, not a balance sheet solution, and that you should have money readily available to take advantage of opportunities that are coming up in the next six to 12 months. If you are learning from this podcast and if you enjoy the content, I would really appreciate a review on the podcast app. I really get my inspiration from those reviews and from you guys reaching out to me uh, via the website. So please keep them coming so we can share with other people and help them on their journey to financial freedom. See you next time.